Um, this is an account of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he's making his way to Jerusalem. And uh, he's in Caesarea there, and Peter, he asked them, whom do people say I am? And then uh, Peter says, he answers uh, correctly there, you are the Christ, and so on. And there we pick it up from uh, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And our text. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and, and of my words in, the, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we now quieten our hearts to listen to the preaching of your word. We pray, O oh God, and ask that you might speak to each one of us and meet us at our points of need. We ask, O oh God, that it may never be said of us as it was of the Christians of long ago, that they gospel came to them even as it came to us, but it did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith. Oh, God in heaven, we want to pray that our hearts might truly be inclined to hear your word and that we might receive it with faith and that, oh God, we might turn in repentance and faith in to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for those who are not Christians that this will be their portion. But for those who know you, O oh God, that, O oh God, will be able to arise and with obedient hearts desire to go in loving attachment to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we plead with you that you might meet us at our points of need we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last Sunday, uh, we, we woke up
to a message uh, sent at the office that a colleague had died. Um, he had been with the organization for many years, and he sort of was a young man, 27 years of age, uh, got into the family legacy program um, when he was very young, I think 13 years or so, uh, went to Tree of Life, finished his primary, secondary school, and then uh, went to Zimbabwe. He actually even did the scholars program at SCU, then went to Zimbabwe, studied accounts, came back and started work at uh, Family Legacy. And then two years later, we just hear, oh, uh, blessings is not well. That was two weeks ago. And then after eight days, the guy is gone. And I think that death sort of brought mixed feelings within the organization that how can this young man, promising with a bright future ahead of him, then just die? But again, if you look at the word of God, basically everyone, that's where we are headed. There's just one thing that we are certain in life. When a baby is born, you look at them and see them. One thing you can say about them and their future is that they are going to die. We don't know whether they are going to be skinny, tall, fat, rich, marry a gorgeous young man or so. But one thing is certain, the certainty of death. And therefore, when I was reflecting on what to then preach about, I thought, I think there should be something, therefore, that we ought to be living for. If every one of us is going to die. If death is what is certain, and as somebody has said, the time, what death finds you in, judgment is going to hold you. And what condition you are in at judgment, eternity, is going to keep you. So if you die as a non-Christian, that will be the state, eternal death, is awaiting you. And therefore, I think the business that each one of us, whether you are a child of God, whether you are a non-Christian, the business that each one of us ought to be concerned about is where we lie spend eternity. And is my life truly in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have I surrendered totally to him? Am I a true and genuine, authentic follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? And this is basically the text that we have here. The Lord Jesus Christ, he comes and Peter says, no, 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 uh, you, you are not going to go that way. You, 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 you can't be our Messiah and die and suffer and die. Because the Messiah that we have in mind is somebody who is going to live on and be the king of Jerusalem and save all these people of 
Israel and take up the throne of David. But then Christ says, he rebukes Peter, get behind me, Satan. Using very strong language, indicating that Peter's position of looking at the Messiah is not in line with what God says. And he goes behind and beyond Peter to the devil. Remember in the temptations that this was actually the way that the, the Satan tempted Jesus, saying you can have these kingdoms if only you bow down and worship. He says, be gone, Satan. Why? Because the only way that salvation was going to come was through the cross, through suffering, and through death of the Messiah. And that is the context that we have there. And we can, say, we can see there that a call to authentic Christianity is counterintuitive. It goes against our natural inclination. And Christ there is saying, if anyone would follow after me. Okay, look at the text, verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them. So in other words, it didn't matter whether you are a child of God, a disciple of Christ, or you are part of just the crowds who were following him. He says this is the business that you and me ought to be doing. If you want to be a true follower and genuine disciple of Jesus Christ, this is what you need to do. And we are seeing there that the two enemies of authentic Christianity is that it goes against the natural inclination, but then secondly, God's ways are not our ways. We might have a perception of what a true child of God is, but here, clearly, Peter missed it, and Christ comes to correct us to correct them, to say, now, look, this is how a true child of God is. And this morning, the question that I have for you is, what is your perception of what genuine Christianity is? I'm not asking whether you've gone through the waters of baptism, whether you have grown up in church and lived and, and so on, whether if you look at your peers, at your workplace, at school, in your classroom, they think that this is the child of God. I'm not asking that. But the question is, are you measuring up to what Christ demands of us, of what a true and genuine Christian is? Here he says that if anyone would come after me, if anyone would want to be a disciple, he must follow me. It is following the person of Christ, not following an institution, not being a member of a particular local church, not being baptized. It is following Christ, having that relationship with him. I remember some time ago I was attending a funeral and the, 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 the person who was preaching says, you see, this person was a Christian. Actually, I saw their tithe record. They had been giving money to the church. 
since uh, 1960-something. So they are Christians. But of course, that is not the definition of who a child of God is. Attachment to a particular institution doesn't make you a Christian. And here we are seeing what Christ is saying. And therefore, let's look at what the definition of a true follower of Christ is. What Christ calls each one of us to strive for. He says in verse 34, And calling the crowds to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him, one, deny himself, two, take up his cross, three, follow me. So we are seeing there the definition or the demands for a total surrender uh, to, to Christ. But then in the second place, he gives them the reasons why they need to follow Christ. And that is beginning with verse 35. So if you look at verse 35, 36, and also 38, you're seeing there the word for, for, because, because. So we will look in the second place the reasons why we need to pursue authentic Christianity. Uh, so verse 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And secondly, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Then verse 37, for what can a man give in return for his soul? Then verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. So, there we have it, the two issues that we are going to look at. A total, a, what is it to totally surrender and follow Christ? And then why is total surrender critical in our lives? So therefore, we see there, Christ says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. So firstly, true and genuine, authentic Christianity is a call for a total denial, self-denial. So the Lord, in other words, is saying that you need to deny yourself. And the word deny is basically referring to the fact that you, 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 you totally, you know, reject that person or reject that thing. Remember the apostle uh, Peter? He denied that he ever knew Christ. And that's the same word. They come to him, a slave girl coming, uh, you, you are part of the, the men from Galilee. You are a Galilean as well. You are, you are part. He says, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. He even calls curses upon himself. No, I don't know him. So that is denying. And here, the Bible is calling us to a life of self denial. In other words, it is that will, the self-will that perhaps 
the thing that 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 that, that controls our our our, our lights our, our our thinking and so on so that is the thing that Christ is calling us to deny he's calling us to deny that our self will self governing self decisions and desires and so on that is what Christ is saying no give me that place in other words the essence of sin is basically the the eye in the in the sin okay so 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 Christ is calling us to 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 look at the aspect of what you your 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 desires your likes your selfishness is asking that he takes that place in your heart where your will is and that is denial so he's saying there that we need to replace that with himself remember when adam sinned against god in the garden of eden God pronounces there. He says, because you listened to your wife. So yes, it was wrong for Adam to eat the fruit in the garden. But the essence of that sin was not really because he took that fruit and ate. But it's because he listened to the voice of the wife and did not listen to God. In other words, he disobeyed the voice of God. And basically that is what Christ is calling us. That that center of decision, that is where Christ wants to take that place. It's not about just what, you know, this is wrong, this is right, and so No, he's saying the middle part of yours, the center of your decisions, you need to deny that, okay? That, that went. Uh, but in my mind, I've spelled it correctly. <laughs> yeah, but it's just failing to come out, okay? You need to leave that place, and Christ takes the center stage. And this is what is calling us to a life of absolute surrender. And basically, this is the doorway to anyone who wants to become a Christian. You need to surrender. Stop trusting on yourself. Stop trusting on the things that you have done. Stop trusting on who you are. That may be because, you know, I've been going to church for many years. I think surely God would be happy with me. I haven't been as bad as others. I don't sleep around. I don't, I don't even have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Surely, at least when God is looking at who should be saved, I should surely be there. He's saying, no, that is not the way it's supposed to be. Remember the two people who went to pray in the temple, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The tax collector or the Pharisee came with a very rich CV. I do this, I do that, I do that and the other. I fast, I give money to the poor. Surely God should be happy with me. 
but the one who was accepted, as the Bible tells us, is one who just beat about his chest. Lord, have mercy to me, the sinner. The one who looked at himself and saw that there's nothing in and of himself that he could offer to God. And that's what we are saying basically about self-denial. You can try to bring everything that you have. Try to keep the law. But as James says, if you break one, you are guilty of everything. And therefore, in and of ourselves, there is nothing that we can offer back to God. Because we are inadequate. But for you who is a Christian, is that also your disposition of your heart? That you've given up everything to follow Jesus, that you've denied yourself, that if you go and you come into confrontation with the law of God, the one who wins is God and his word. Are you living a life of self-denial? That self is not taking center stage, but rather what Christ has said and his word. So that, for example, you are a student and you come faced with a hard test or, or an assignment. Are you going to say, no, 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 uh, you see, um, maybe just, you know, a leakage somewhere, you know, and... Or are you going to say, no, I won't accept these pleasures of success, pleasures of taking the shorter route, but rather I'm going to deny myself the easy path and follow Christ. I'm going to stick to the straight and narrow. I won't cheat during the exams because cheating is wrong pleasures. Are you living a life of self-denial as a child of God, able to say, no, I won't offer a bribe to this corrupt person. It's better I go and face whatever, take me to central police, you know, impound my car, do this and that, because I am a child of God and therefore I won't give this person money. I know that if I gave him a hundred kwacha or so, just go, just go. But you say, no, um, okay, you want to impound my car? Where do I pack it? Let's go. Live there, you know, get a yango, come back. So that is self-denial. As a young person, the pleasures... You know this man is after you. You know he wants to sleep with you. Are you going to deny yourself those pleasures because you know that God demands holiness and purity and you won't give in to those advances? That's what we are basically talking about. And Christ is calling each one of us to live a life of self-denial as a disciple of him, of his. The Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life thou that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in 
the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul was able to say that, now look, I don't belong to myself. I have been crucified with Christ. Does that describe you? Is that life, is that the life that you are leading, a life of self-denial? But then in the second place, he goes on to say that a true child of God, authentic disciple of his, will, first of all, deny himself, but then pick up his cross. Picking up the cross. So this is a metaphor, a metaphor that is basically describing the fact that, you know, in, 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 in the Bible days, uh, a, a criminal, a condemned criminal would then be asked to pick up his cross to the point where the execution was happening. And this is basically what Christ is saying, that what the criminal would be forced to do you, as a follower of Christ, you do it voluntarily, willingly. You pick up your cross and go and follow Jesus. So it is carry it voluntarily. And Christ says in his word that no servant is greater than the master. If they called me, that I was performing miracles by, by the power of, uh, is it Bezebel or something? What about you, my disciples? They will also persecute you. They will do the same. And therefore, it's just quite shocking to see that in this day and age, we want a Christianity that doesn't have a cross that there will be people who are in the name of God saying, suffering is not my portion. Poverty is not what? If you are suffering, then you are not a child of God. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. Because Christ has promised us the cross. Take up your cross. He says that in this world you have tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy that I don't want you to be unaware of what troubles and challenges that we, I, I, I went through at Lystra, at Iconium. But I thank God that in all those, he saw me through. And then he concludes that verse and says, he who wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution. Christ is asking us to carry that cross and follow him. He is not saying now, look, uh, okay, the cross will be, okay, illness. Yes, it's there. But basically he's saying that you take up the cross. The, 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 the fact that you are associated with him, suffering that is associated with you being a child of God is basically what Christ is calling us to. He's saying you need to be able to stand firm in the straight and narrow, in obedience to what I have prescribed. And if suffering comes, so be it. 
Let me suffer for being a child of God. It's the Apostle Peter who encourages his, 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 his readers there in First Peter and chapter 4. He's giving them an encouragement. Okay, verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fairy trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange is happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. A Christian who suffer. A Christian is one who is willing and ready to suffer for Christ. Who's willing to fail an exam despite having opportunities to cheat and pass. Who's willing to say, no, it's okay. Even if they've stolen from me, I won't pursue that path because I'm a child of God. Are you carrying the cross of Christ? Are you carrying that cross of Christ? But in the third place, he says there that we need to deny ourselves, pick up the cross, and then follow me. So it's now the call to follow Christ. He's calling for loyal obedience to Jesus Christ. How do you define who a child of God is? Jesus, who is a true follower? Who is your disciple? He answers John 15 verse 14 and John 14 verse 15. Uh, it was amazing to see that you can trust. Pause the two and still arrive at the same point. John 15 verse 14 and John 14 verse 15. So John 14 verse 15, he says there, John 14 verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 15 verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So in other words, a child of God will live in obedience to what God has promised or what God has commanded. If you love me, you keep my commandments. You are my friends if you do what I command. John 14 verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. So it is, so following Christ is basically more than just following him in Palestine, but rather it is following what he says. So you ask yourself, what does God command me to do in this situation? It is going 
after him in loving attachment to them to him so he's saying in first john chapter 2 verse 3 by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments so let me ask you does that describe you are you living in obedience to what god has commanded you call yourself a child of god but what decisions look at the week past the things that you did the quarrels that you were having with the word of god if at all you read it and what god was revealing to you were you having a struggle there and saying no uh, but you know it will be hard no but they will laugh at me no but this and that or are you able to say what god has commanded that i will do what christ says that i will do uh, it was i think earlier on in this this week when we were looking at uh, during the Bible study uh, in our home group, okay, Peter says, as obedient children, okay, uh, you know, live in holiness and is it, you know, follow after holiness uh, because God is holy, the one who called you uh, is holy. So we're saying, Peter makes an assumption. He says, as obedient children, and the question that we had was, is that the description of you? Is this describing you as a Christian that we take it for granted as obedient child? This is what you do. Are you living in obedience to Christ or you are living a rebellious life? Every time something negative in your life comes, from the word of God, then no, 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 no. My friends, my culture, and everything, we, we do it this way. To be a true child of God, you need to deny yourself. That center stage should be Christ. Your idols should be torn away. And secondly, you need to pick up your cross willing to suffer because you are a child of God. Then thirdly, you need to be a loyal follower of Christ. But of course you might be asking the question that, ah, then uh, living a life of total surrender is difficult. It is difficult to live like this. No, you are wrong. It's not difficult. It's not difficult to live a life of total surrender to Christ. It's actually impossible. You and me, we can't live this such kind of a life in and of ourselves. You can't. It's against our culture. And therefore, that verse that uh, Brother Emmanuel, uh, we call him Emmanuel 1 at uh, school, at SEO, and then the one who prayed is Emmanuel 3, I'm Emmanuel 
the second. Uh, so we, we take up 30% eh, of the classrooms, just Emmanuel's. Uh, so what Emmanuel 1 said, uh, or took us to Ezekiel chapter 36, you see that it is the work of God in one's life. It is God who calls people. He says that he will do it for his name's sake, Ezekiel 36. He will do it for his name's sake. And as he rightly pointed out, the many pronouns referring to God there. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, verse 22, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. I will take you, verse 24, from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your land. I will sprinkle clean water and you shall be clean, verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put, a, I will put and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your heart of flesh. So in other words, when you look at this, this call to total surrender can't be done in and of ourselves. Because our natural inclination is to run away from God. Isaiah 53 verse 6 tells us that all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us to his own ways. So that's our natural disposition as human beings. We are running away from God. We are going astray. We are lost. And we need a savior. And Isaiah 53, 6 tells us that on him, the iniquities of us all have been laid on him. So it is only in Christ that we can be able to live a life of total surrender. It is only by the power of God that he can save us and enable us to be able to live and be authentic and genuine Christians. So have you cried out to God? Have you ever reached that point in your life when you felt your inadequacy, when you are not able to to, to, to save yourself, you give up everything and cast yourself upon Christ that Christ can save you. That's what he's calling us to do. So if you're not a child of God, you can't make yourself a Christian. Going to church, you know, pursuing baptism, let me be baptized, you know, when maybe the man of God has his putting me in the water and raising me. Maybe now my commitment to Christ, okay, I will start now just going to church and then I'll be praying in the morning and then in the evening, every time I, I, I see something wrong and then, then I'll be, you know, confessing and you make all those resolutions. You will break them. Just one phone call or just one WhatsApp. Dee -dee. You look, Mary. Yeah, then you all just go. 
all the evil thoughts and what not that you've done with Mary, they are made alive. Why? It's because it is our sinful nature. You need that sin to be cleansed. You need God by the Holy Spirit to regenerate you, to make you into somebody who will be able, as Ezekiel tells us, to be able to follow his statutes. So cry out to God. Cry out to Jesus. Reach a point when you know that not your good things that you have done will ever save you. Not being nice and obedient to your parents will make you acceptable before God, but only Christ himself. Lay it aside. Go to him and cry out in mercy. There's a rich young man in Mark and chapter 10 who went to Jesus and said, Lord, what shall I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus tells him, why do you call me good teacher? You know, do what the law says. And then he lists down the second tablet of the commandments. And then the young man says, oh, I've been doing this since I was a youth. Then Jesus looked at him and he loved him. That's what the Bible says. He looked at him and he loved him. So that is Mark and chapter 10 there. Verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And the young man was sad because Jesus really pointed at what was at the center of his heart, the true treasure that was in his heart, the riches. And he's saying you need to give up that also. And then once you give up all that money, all that wealth, now come and then be my disciple. Come and follow me. He was sad because he looked at himself, he looked at money, he looked at Jesus, and money won. Is that you? Are you willing to give up everything and only trust in the merits of Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation? Not the things that you've done, not the life that you lead. Not the things and you no know, friends and you know, yeah, but now if I become a Christian, then I'll need to lose all my friends. God is calling you that if you are to live a life of self-denial, you need to trust in Jesus, giving up all your idols. But let's go on. Uh, Mark tells us in verse 36, giving us the reasons why we need to live a life of total surrender. The first reason there is that there is a law, the law of saving by losing. The law of saving by losing. Verse 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will uh, save it. So in other words, he's saying that if you are determined not to part away with your sins, if you are determined to hold on to your life and the pleasures that it brings to you, he says in the end, you are going to lose. You are going to lose that. So it's the same way with the seed. So if you keep your seed and keep it locked up in your cupboard and, you know, you don't want to lose it by planting it, eventually it will rot. And basically that's the same imagery. If you want to be a true child of God, you need to lose yourself. Throw yourself up to Christ and you're going to uh, pick it. Remember Mrs. Lot, uh, Matthew, oh, sorry, Luke and chapter 17. Let's turn to that passage. Uh, Jesus Christ says, remember Lot's wife. But normally what we forget is what he says following that. Luke and chapter 17, verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. Verse 33. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. So in other words, Jesus is saying, you know, Mrs. Lord could not get Sodom out of her heart. Okay, she, she, she left Sodom, but her heart was with Sodom. The pleasures that she was enjoying in Sodom. And, and, and even... When the angel, how many of us have been evangelized by an angel? None. Very few. Okay? Mrs. Lot was one of them. Grabbed by an angel from Sodom. Let's go. Get saved, you. They pull her out of the city. But her heart was still in Sodom. She didn't want to lose Sodom and its pleasures. And what did she do? She looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. And Jesus is saying there that remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. So Lot and the children chose to lose everything and their lives were saved. Isn't that what John, uh, Jesus says? Remember when they told him in John chapter 12 that we want to see Jesus. Those are the Greeks who came. And Jesus answers there that a seed, you know, must die for it to germinate. Whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever hates his life will keep it. So we are seeing here that that is the reason why you need to give up everything and trust in Jesus. Because by holding on to your sins, you are actually digging your own grave. By refusing to trust in Jesus and trying to enjoy your life now, you are going to lose it. And that's what he's saying. The second place he says about the profit and loss, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and then lose his soul. 
In other words, when you look at balance sheets, those who've done accounts, on the one column, okay, on the expense, I don't know whether it's expense, but uh, on one side, you put in your pleasure, your honors, your you know, nice things, wealth, money, a good life, okay, prestige that comes along with a life of sin. And then on the other side, you just put your soul, okay? So, profit and loss. So it's saying there that what will it profit a man to gain the whole world in fact, not only just wealth, not only just pleasure, not only just prestige. In fact, putting everything into one side and then your soul on the other side. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and then lose their soul? So in other words, when you think about it, your never dying soul when, when looking at the passage in uh, Exodus where Moses is told during the burning bush, a thought struck me when God says, I am the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At that time when God was saying that to Moses in the burning bush, 400 years had passed. And yet, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob were alive. They were there in heaven. And now you, you've lived 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. And you want to sacrifice your soul. It's been how many years now? Maybe 6,000 years. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are still alive. And they're going to continue living for eternity. And that is what God promises each child of God who truly is a Christian. That you're going to live eternally. And now you don't want to give up your sins. You want to just hold on for one year, for one month. And then you lose your soul. Why? Why do you hate yourself that much? You have a never-dying soul that if you perish without Jesus Christ, you are going to live in eternal damnation. In the lake of fire, as Jesus says, then they'll be sent into an eternal punishment in the lake of fire that has been prepared with, for the devil and his angels. And that's where you want to spend eternity. No, love yourself. Flee to Christ and be saved. God tells us in Ezekiel and chapter 18 a very sobering text there. Ezekiel chapter 18. Why will you die, O child of O house of Israel. Verse 30. Therefore I will judge you, O Israel. Everyone according to his ways declares the Lord. Repent and turn from your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast from you all the transgressions that you have 
committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why? Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn, turn and live. And that's basically the appeal that God is making to each one of us in Jesus Christ. That there is life eternal. You don't have to carry your sins into eternity and die. Your soul, your soul has more value than anything else. And therefore you need to trust in Jesus. Give up everything and turn to him in repentance and faith. Because I think the other thing, the, the, the question is that the incomparable value of the soul. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing. You can't give anything in exchange for your soul. Your soul is valuable. Look at what it took for Christ to save a soul. His death on the cross, the Son of God dying so that you can be saved. And then you, you want to say, no, I'll hold on to my pleasures. No, I'll hold on to my reputation. What is that? You die, no, because everyone thinks I'm a Christian. So if I say, no, I'm not a child of God, and then I want to become a Christian, it will be embarrassing for me. But look at the soul. You spend eternity in hell with your reputation. Because I didn't want them to look at me. Is it inside me? But we are seeing there, God is calling us to a life of self-denial. Back to the rich man, in conclusion. So he walks away from Jesus, very sad, and he goes away. And then Peter and the others say, ah, but Lord, ah, then things are, in fact, Jesus is the one who started, uh, it is hard for a camel, it is much easier for a camel to enter through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to uh, go into the kingdom. So basically there is saying, you know, one who's holding on to, you know, things that the idols failing to tear them away. And then Peter is saying, ah, but uh, who then will be saved? Who then will be saved? And Jesus says, for man it is impossible, but with God everything is possible. So in other words, you can't save yourself. It's only Christ who can save you. And that's why everything terminates in the grace of God. You need to go to Christ appreciating that with man, with me, I can't do anything to save myself. It's like lifting yourself up, using your shoelaces, trying to go up. It's impossible. Salvation can't be internally manufactured. No, no. 
It is God who comes to save a sinner. And that's why our posture, our disposition ought to cry out to him, Lord, save me or I die. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Come, O Lamb of God, and save me. I pray that this will be your cry, the cry of your heart, that Christ might save you. Amen.